Okay, let's do this thing. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to InsureTech Amplified. We are joined today by Janine Jonas, the founder of Risk Creative and a founding member of Punks and Pinstripes. Punks and Pinstripes. What are these things that you've created from whole cloth? P&P. &P. Uh, I'd like to take credit for Punks and Pinstripes, but uh, I'm, I'm just lucky to have been dragged into it very early on. Give me a little bit of your background, and then I really want to find out what those two things are and like what the impetus, is, what the impetus was for starting them as well. So please go ahead. So, oh gosh, my history. Um, I fell into insurance like most of us do, absolutely not looking into it or having any decent idea of what it really entailed. Um, a little over 20 years ago, I had moved to Chicago from my home state of Kansas. I need a little bit of a different, different pace. I didn't quite fit in Kansas. Um, <laughs> Not shocking. And, yeah, right. And uh, I worked in radiology for like three or four years. I was super young. I was in my early 20s. So from 19 to, you know, 22, 23, I was working in uh, radiology for a tri-county hospital right outside of uh, the Kansas State football stadium. So any natural Big 12 fans out there will appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, it was awesome because we got to be on the field for most games to take the players in anytime someone was injured, which you really didn't want to do, but you were also thrilled to be able to, to do the x-rays or the MRIs. Yeah. And so, yeah, I moved to Chicago thinking I would be able to get a job quickly with another hospital, work in radiology, and I really wanted to be a radiologist, which was hilarious because I never finished my bachelor's degree. Okay, but somehow I'm going to finish it living in Chicago, one of the most expensive places, and I'm going to go on to medical school. I have always had big aspirations. I, I got a job offer from a hospital, and it was actually right outside of Chicago. Okay. It was in this, this suburb called Oak Park, which we don't consider a lot of non-Chicago places Chicago, but Oak Park gets the pass. And uh, I was a little bummed that it wasn't in the city itself, but... It was an offer and it was more money than I was making in Kansas. And I was living for free with my aunt and uncle at the time. So there's no real <laughs> idea of what the cost of living is going to be. But anyway, I came home, I had my offer letter. I was super pumped about it. And my uncle just looked at me and he was like, so how much is rent for a one bedroom or a studio in he's, Chicago? He's kicking you out. You don't know this, but he's kicking you out. Go ahead. I was like, uh... Uh, maybe $500 a month. No, again, this is early 2000s. But he's like, I think you should go check that out. And he was like, and how much is tuition going to be? And are you even eligible for any kind of financial aid? Or, And so he's, it was like, he constantly was giving me financial lessons. I became financially literate. Thank you, because of my Uncle Mike. Right. So I sat there and then he slowly crushed my soul in the most loving way possible. And it took like another two months and I couldn't find anything. And so a friend of a friend worked at Cigna. He was the sales manager of the Chicago office for their group insurance division, which is life accident disability. He was like, hey, I'm getting ready to leave, but I know we're bringing sales admins back and I think you've got what it takes. So come on in. And I was in there thinking temporarily and here we are 20 years later. I have done so many recordings on insurance and insurtechs in the last like four years. And I think everybody who's in the insurance industry, except for like four people, has the same kind of story. Like I wasn't see, expecting I've to be. Found that exact ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wasn't expecting to be here, but here I am. And and once I joined, but here's the thing though, once I joined, I never left. Because I I think this is the surprising thing, and tell me where I'm wrong. It's like once you start doing it, there's actually a real purpose to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Like you're actually trying to help people. At the point where people are most vulnerable, you're there. And it doesn't matter what position you are in the insurance industry. Like your part in that value chain is to say, don't worry about it. We know you're in the midst of some kind of trauma or some kind of adversity, but we're here to help you and let us help you. Right. And that's the whole point. And once you figure that out, I think particularly for someone like you who seems to be quite empathetic, right? And also self-aware, I'm serious. Yeah. I think you feel like, oh, wait a second. I can actually, because the radiology stuff is you're helping people, right? There's a reason for doing that too. Go ahead. That's the link I was just going to make. Seeing people at their most vulnerable, there's nothing like sitting behind, you know, the glass window of a waiting room in a hospital and you've got your ER patients being rushed down the hallway yeah. into a room. And at the same time, you know, you've got your cancer patients that are lining up for their quarterly MRI or PET scan and they have to do a lot of prep before those. The first, second, third time, you know, that, that that's a little nerve wracking by the time it's their 10th. It's almost like they're part of staff, but you, you also know what's going on with them, right? There was one woman in particular that always stays with me and she's at this stage in my life, you know, she was probably um, 35, maybe 35 at the right, time. But she was older. So now younger than where yeah. I am in my life, but she was older than me then. But she had a three-year-old son and she had a very aggressive cancer and she had, he had no idea about it. And so to watch her drop him off at daycare and then come in and her exhaustion and, and I'd get so excited seeing her every quarter because she was doing so well. Yeah. Um, but then her, her body stopped responding and, and, you know, watching the, the downside of that and just being on that journey though, I think it very much aligns to the insurance industry. Yeah. And in particular, it's, from my side of the business, the employees, uh, employee benefit side of the business, it's very much medical lifestyle, health, wellness. That's what you're focused on. And, right. and that's not a uh, one thing, right? It's not just what your watch tracks. No, It's everything else. It's so everything else. there was a clear alignment looking back between leaving the hospital and getting into insurance. Yeah. It's almost like you had to do this. I, I want to share kind of a personal anecdote with you because I think okay. it fits into this little narrative we, we've created here. When my brother was doing his residency in Atlanta, he's a neurosurgeon and a, and a very good one, to be fair. I was working at you know Morgan Stanley, just like moving money around and pressing buttons. Yeah. Not <laughs> Equally something, impressive. Please. No, but not something with any like real, genuine, human, empathetic purpose. And mm -hmm. back then when we were younger, like I, I even think today, if you looked at it, m me and my brother, if you met us like in separate places, you would think they resemble each other. I walked into the hospital where he was doing his residency to visit him and an old woman came over to me. And again, I mean, at the time I was like 25. So how old could she have been? She probably was like 40. I'm, right. I'm way older than that now. But the point is that she came over to me and said, Dr. Waits, because she thought I was my brother. I really want to thank you for saving my grandson's life. Oh. And besides the fact that I wasn't Dr. Waits, it just hit home to me that like what he was doing had purpose in the same way that what you were doing has purpose and what I was doing had zero relevance to like anything. And it just, I yeah. never said to her that I wasn't my brother because I didn't want to ruin that moment for her. Right. Right. But I walked away feeling like your life really needs to have a purpose. And I think that that's the thing I think that people like you figure out when they join the insurance industry is that there actually is a real purpose there anyway. 
And that's also what the interesting part of insurance, because you still don't look at it from the outside and say, that's where I can make an impact. Right. <laughs> that's where purpose exists. It feels like the Morgan Stanley role you described. Um, yeah. But yet, as long as you get even one foot in the door, you find at the office level, at the global level, at the market level, there's so much purpose in there. It's so fulfilling. So talk to me about the complications that exist in the insurance industry. This is something that we talked about when we prepped, right? Like, why is it so complicated? I think the words you used were unnecessarily complicated. Like, wh why is it so complicated and what- Unnecessarily complicated. Yeah, and so- Right, there are, there are complexities that exist, um, I think, in general, in finance, in highly regulated industries. There's a reason they should be highly regulated. There's no question about that. But where one thing seems like it's a good idea, it doesn't necessarily go to the other thing. And, you know- Insurance is not radiology. Insurance is the hospital. Employee benefits is radiology, right? Yeah. PNC is the lab. They're, they're different functions and, and needs and purposes. And I think that particularly when it comes to employee benefits, you've got federal regulation. And when the government doesn't move fast enough to get us things that we so badly need and desire, great example of being paid family medical leave where that just seems like a given uh, anywhere else in the world, uh, then the states have to act. And then the states all come up with their own rules. But we live in an economy where businesses, big and small, operate in multiple states. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you're creating these complexities that are just almost impossible to track. Um, and you leave yourself open unnecessarily, but also not your fault yeah. to the risks that are associated with making a mistake. Right. Or doing something wrong or not not approving um, a certain kind of leave as in keeping with that example. Paid family leave. I think if you walked out into any town in the United States, in any state in the United States and just surveyed 100 people, 85 of them or 90 would say paid family leave. We should definitely have it. Yes. So why isn't it there? And, and in every other civilized country in the world, there's paid family leave. Yeah. And even in some uncivilized oh, yeah. countries. And that's even more a, a poignant point, by the way. Um, why isn't it there? Why does anything go or stop in business? It's money. And it's not just who's going to pay for it. And I think there's plenty of resources there. We can figure out where Absolutely. does that money come from and, and who pays for it and how. That's not really a question. Um, it's how in a group setting in particular, whether you're looking at the population of a town or a state or the population of a company. Right. How do you apply those rules and what are the rules that are most important to that group, right? Industries are different by state and therefore the risks and the um, saturation of certain populations related to certain industries are going to have an influence on what those paid family medical leave regulations are that are, ne that are necessarily going to be different from other states. So I think it's the sometimes we can't get out of our own way. Yeah of just simplifying it. Like instead of trying to make a rule for every single type of situation, right. take a step back and think about what is the ultimate purpose and goal? Right. How do we address that at 30,000 feet? And then do we leave some kind of gateway open for us to manage exceptions to rules because there always is one. Sure. And I think that's where it gets super complex, right? We want to have an insurance policy for every single kind of loss possible so that we can manage that risk pool. 
especially now and with environmental change, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So figure out the intent of what you're trying to do, and then you'll find your your answer. It's a great it's a great way to put that, right? It, you just what is the intention? What are you trying to achieve? And let's just try to get right. that, and then we'll back into like what those rules need to be. It's actually a great way to think about this. Do you? What's the right way to say this? Do you think there's like a right way and a wrong way to employ technology in these businesses, in the benefits business, right? So that it actually accomplishes what you want it to accomplish? I think so. I think where the kind of tete-a-tete is coming is that the technology that an employer needs is not necessarily what an insurance company is structured <laughs> to take in. And it's Why? figuring out what it, is it actually means. I mean, the employer is, there's certain down to a very niche level. The carrier does need pretty individual information. Right. However, in, in the world that we have of privacy regulations and what companies want to do when they have that, you know, are they going to be reaching out to those individuals? It was a little different when you sent a flyer in the mail, whether it was unsolicited or not, right? right, right. Compared to if you're trying to send them text messages on the phone and get them using your app and and bombarding them with emails, you know, there's different there's different rules um, to apply to that. So my my thinking as I'm talking about that is at the individual level, yes, and a carrier would love to have Janine Jonas's full name and her address and her date of birth and her email address, which we still have carriers not even asking for. Really? Which is insane to me. Yes. But then we started to create technology that was really about the employer administration side of things that could help feed over information that an insurance carrier needs, but inherently there's still going to be some missing parts, right? It's not, it's not perfect. Um, so I think a lot of us got excited when like benefit administration platforms came to life yeah. and this whole concept of an employer having one place that was digital, that was technologically set that an employee could go into and they can communicate about all these different programs that they offer, some insurance, some non-insurance, but it's all part of that agreement that an employer has with an employee of you take care of us and we will take care of you. Right. And they have one place that they can finally manage it. One place, one input. But when you go into an insurance carrier and especially on the side that I grew up in, in, in group benefits, you write three or four policies for the same group. Okay. Life insurance is always going to be coupled with accidental death and dismemberment, AD and D. Uh, if you're not even writing short-term disability, unless you also get the long-term disability along with it at, from the carrier standpoint. So back in my day, that was four different systems that we would have to complete right. to get a policy for each one, right. right? God forbid that client's name has a comma or a period in it or unexpected capital letters <laughs> because now it's all shot to hell. Like that's never going to get tracked properly ever, ever again. Um, and so that's really where carriers are, are, I wouldn't say most focused, I would say probably second most focused is how do we create that one time entry that's correct the first time in, and then it feeds into all these different areas that we need. So I'm kind of going off on a tangent. No, no, no. I want to go back to this yeah. again in a second, because I, I'm thinking about like the technology that I used when I was at Morgan Stanley and at Goldman Sachs. And in the end, when I was at Citigroup. 
Are you suggesting that these four separate systems, they didn't even talk to each other? Were they, were these, and I'm going to get a little bit technical, were these mainframe systems? Were these PC-based systems? You know what I mean? So that somebody wrote like a accidental death and dismemberment system, right? Yeah. And that didn't talk to the life system and it didn't talk to the group benefit system at all. So the same person would have to fill out the same thing three or four times to do that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. This is very similar to what existed at yeah, it's some of the big companies where I worked as well. Yeah, finance is very, very similar, right? And you're right. Commas, to those same commas capitals. Because if it said like Michael Waits and in one system it was capital M, capital W, and in another system it was lowercase w, the way some of these computer systems work is a capital letter is not the same as a small letter, a lowercase letter. So it could no, just No, it's not. Me. And there was no other technology in there to say, hey, this also looks like. Yeah, it looks right? similar. It doesn't mean this Michael Waits, but you should also look at this one before you move forward with whatever it is that you're doing. Exactly. You know, something else that's um, an interesting tidbit is social security numbers become critical then in the yeah. employee benefits when you're trying to identify an individual. Okay. However, the social identification number in Canada has the exact same number of numbers yep. as our social security number in the U.S., Wow. So when we started to expand into Canada, <laughs> I mean, we didn't even know to expect that. And next thing you know, we've got tons of issues in the systems because you can't possibly have an individual with the same social security number. Well, it turns out you can if you start broadening your offering into other countries. Do you know your social security number off the top of your head? I don't want to know what it is, but do you know what it is? Of course I do. When you say the word social security number, I repeat mine in my head. I'm not kidding because I just <laughs> know it. I don't even know why. I don't even know what. And Just I don't automatically? Have, automatically. And I don't have any way of checking either. So I don't have a, like that card. I can still see that little blue and white social security card that I saw when I was like mm -hmm. six years old. I have no idea where it is. Anyway. Of course, always seems so important that you need to keep as well, though. <clears throat> don't ever lose this. And it's like, I haven't seen it in 25 years. So yeah, I have not seen it at all. Has the onset, because we talked about this before we started recording though, right? Has the onset of startups changed the way you think about technology and implementing technology inside of these big insurance companies, particularly now in your existing company, right? Where like, you're not embedded in an insurance company. You're, you're I don't want right. to say on the outside looking in, but you know what I mean? You're like adjacent. Yeah. But with all the embedded I'm knowledge adjacent. you have, right? So yep. how do startups change the game here? Oh, where to begin? Go. I mean, I got to say, first of all, you know, let's let's go back real quick to the history of of Janine and her career. So yeah. at Cigna, working in life accident disability, loved it, was absorbing everything, just wanted to do all the different roles and ultimately did. Um, I could not wait to be an account manager, which is hilarious looking back because that is 100 percent hands down the hardest job inside of an insurance company. Probably. Nobody is calling you because they have good news. Right. <laughs> um, and not only that, when you're working in something like life and disability, that news is really bad really bad. Yeah. But boy, does that really create some thick skin and get you to be a little creative when you feel like you're hitting a, a brick wall, but right. something has to move, something has to give. And right. so that's kind of your job to figure it out. Um, moved into sales after that, loved it. Absolutely did not want to go into sales, but had a great manager who just thought I had the personality for it. And uh, you do though, the, don't the you? thick skin. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I really was the idea of sales was just not attractive to me. And, you know, I'm happy to be wrong. Like it was a blast. Um, I will say though, for women, as we get into other stages of our life, whether that's marriage and certainly um, child rearing, 
sales is nearly impossible at that point. Why? So it is sales. A lot of that is the traveling, the, uh, the going out, the dinners, a lot of evenings, right? It's not a nine to five job. No. Um, and so when you've got, when you've got the kids or I remember, I don't think this is such a big deal now because, uh, you know, folks are more into the non-drinking drinking, like the non-alcoholic yeah. stuff or mocktails. But I re specifically remember talking with a lot of my girlfriends that I worked with. I just wanted to stop drinking for a while. Yeah. Like it was, I was too much. I was starting to get hangovers. The clearly I was getting a little older. I don't think I was 30 yet, but I just wasn't feeling good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's but not we good like, for you we to be fair. It's, it's not good for you. We, not, yeah, I'm supposed to be like practicing what I preach for a health and wellness company, right. but we're over here throwing them back every three days. Um, yeah. And I just remember a very distinct conversation where we were like, how do we do that without people thinking we're pregnant? And then the broker's not wanting to place business with us right. because we're going to be out on leave. Like these are the kinds of things that you're thinking about. But anyway, that's more the gender thing. So went through sales. My, my first taste of um, doing something very different within insurance actually happened at Cigna. We had a problem that I hated that was persistent that no one wanted to address. And it seemed so simple to me to solve, but it was tax related and legal related. And so right there, you're just like moving mountains. Right. Um, but I would not stop bugging executive leadership about it. And I finally got sponsorship and it was such a journey and such a learning experience. And we turned it around and I was like, once that was accomplished, I thought I can do anything. anything yeah. um, so Liberty Mutual reached out. They still had their benefits division, which is now Lincoln Financial. Um, and they poached me over to say, hey, we really want to go. They've always been a national account size company. We really want to go downstream. Cigna's done a really good job of that. Can you help us build out what are the processes? What's the technology we need? What is different about a 250 life group versus a 25,000 life group? Yeah. Um, and so I jumped on that and That's it was great. Such a great challenge. I love it. Sorry, go ahead. It was so much fun. Yeah. And then uh, Aon was standing up the health and benefits division within their, what's now the Aon Stra Strategy and Technology Group, STG. Um, but that's their very unique, very private management consulting arm that serves insurance carriers. And so that's where I really got in is I'm not in the insurance company being burdened by all of our inefficiencies <laughs> and, and lack of poor process. Um, I actually, you're inviting me to come in and take a look at what you have right. and give you ideas about what needs to be done. And that's what opened up to what now became risk creative Yeah. because in that role and doing that work, um, first it was seeing this again, a tete-a-tete -tete between the way the insurance companies are structured to, from pre-sale to quoting business, to binding business, to managing policies and all the different types of information they need and what that value chain looks like and that flow looks like throughout the company from, you know, the salesperson to, to the claims team. And, and then it was like, we started to get a lot of startups reaching out to our team. Mm. Like, Hey, we've got this really great idea. We want to meet with some brokers. We want to be able, and I, I loved it because a lot of them had great ideas. A lot of them had created something that was needed right. and that was super relevant but they have no idea about this massive black hole called the insurance industry and how partnerships are made or how things are sold. And, and that was the first time where I really realized how valuable I have become just by working in the insurance industry. Right. 
right? Like all those issues I had with implementation, all those times I had to fight to get information on a claim, let alone get the claim approved. Um, all those times I had to be creative about thinking how to amend the, the policy to do something that was super unique to that employer's culture or company. And it was like, suddenly you realize this is incredibly valuable information to anyone who's trying to get in. Um, and so the reason I left Aon to start Risk Creative was because startups couldn't afford us. Like it was very simple. If you didn't have at least $50,000 to blow on us just doing a strategy project for you, right? right? There's no guarantee you're gonna make any money and you're a startup, come on, there's no way, there's no way. Um, and I hated time after time turning away some of those. Cause they were so- Some of those were really great. Yeah. Cause it was like, man, yeah. If I, if I could get you in front of the right people, we could really make something happen. We do something huge here. Um, and so I think that the challenge with startups, number one, and this rule also applies to, um, you know, I have quite a few clients in Europe um, in a couple Middle East, more like Israeli um, area. And it's, there's two things. One, they don't understand how bundled certain services are. Yeah. So like, if you think about it again, from my world and employee benefits, you have an employee assistance program. Sometimes people pay for a premium version of that, and that's a standalone product. But generally, those services are already embedded into a life insurance or a disability policy. Right. So we have a lot of startups who are creating things that effectively are functions of an EAP program. They're something that help an employee. They're not an insurance, but they certainly make the insurance work better or make them less because they don't know that they're being bundled, right? They just try to, tell me if I'm wrong, but they just try to solve like this one problem and they don't realize that there are three yeah. other things connected to it yeah. that they also have to solve. Otherwise they can't get to that problem. Is that right? That is a hundred percent right. And if I can't get that through yeah. to my prospective client by like the third meeting, I can't take the client. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's just number one. That's just my rule. I'm, I'm, I'm very shrewd about the clients that I take. I have to absolutely believe in what they're doing. I have to be able to envision it in the industry and working right. and doing what it was intended to. It actually needs to have an intention beyond just making money. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they've got to be open and understand that like there's hard stuff about this that you're not going to like. I call it the, the name in the lights syndrome. So I'll have a startup approach me. They're looking for advice or some introductions or whatever it may be. And it's something so niche and so of not concern of even in the top 100 things concerning an insurance carrier or an employer at the moment right. who are ultimately the ones making the first decision about whether this gets placed. The moment I say that, you know what, I think you should be speaking to these types of vendors or carriers, that this kind of strategic partnership would make the most sense. Here's why. Here's how I would suggest um, structuring it. And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't want to get buried into whatever the offering is. We are a PEPM standalone offering. And it's like, but you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's so important to you that you have your brand out there in front of the end user. Right. And that's how you're going to make money, which by the way, you're going to make way less money than if you get embedded into something that is automatically being distributed and dispersed to thousands of people at, at once. Scale. At scale. You don't yeah. have to figure that part out. Yeah. You don't have to build a sales team. You don't have to distribute. That, that function that looks like a, a, an insurance carrier sales team, that's for sure. Right. right? Um, and so there's ones that are kind of excited about 
and that's how I would feel personally. I would be excited about, oh my God, what? There's this amazing doorway I can go through and it <laughs> just displays everything and distributes it for, that's amazing. And, but I've had some that are just like, absolutely not, it waters down what we're doing. And I'm like, but nobody's paying attention to that. That's not a concern. Startups outside of the insurance industry, right? Because you, you said this, like the, the carriers have this door you can go through that has natural distribution. It's already there. If you build a product, they can get embedded into that. You don't need your name in the lights, as you said. You, you want to run a business, yeah? You don't want to be famous. I don't really yeah. care. So why not use that? Why is it so important to you to have it say like Michael's fancy thing everywhere? Just get it everywhere and you'll get rich anyway. But there are tons of these little businesses, and they're not so little anymore, popping up with 200,000, 300,000 people on these platforms. Right? I was talking to a guy who runs a, um, a content creation platform matching business. So brands on one side and content creators on the other side, they create content for those brands for thought leadership. And it's completely disintermediating the advertising industry. It's a separate conversation. But, and you're the person, perfect person to ask this. He has 200,000 people on the platform. All of them are kind of doing the wow. same job, but they're not working at the same company. That's a group benefit opportunity. Am I wrong? Is that not enough people? 100%. So I asked him 100%. today. This is why I love, I love doing an insurance podcast. And I also love doing, this is from my India Game Changer podcast. That guy's not thinking about insurance. So I said to him, do you ever think about providing financial services like insurance to the, all the people that are on your platform? Because they're not part of a big company. Like when I worked for Goldman Sachs, they provided all of us with insurance. That was a group benefit, right? Of course. But it's part of the reason you go to work. Yeah, but now that I don't work at Goldman Sachs, I can't get group benefits. But if I'm part of that platform, shouldn't they be doing that? Because that's the same door through distribution you can walk through because they're already there and they already trust you and you're already taking their money. You're already doing financial transactions with them. So they trust the fact that if you, right. you know what I mean? Does anybody else talk Absolutely. about this? And even if it's not offering it, yeah. And it's something I think about all the time. So you really hit the nail on the head there as far as like, just in general, what his platform, the way that you've described it, yep. what it really is, is what's happening in the workforce today. Right. People splitting off from big employers and going out, hi, I'm one of them, going out and doing their own thing. And trust me, I really miss my 401k. Yeah. And I really miss those contributions and that my we're going into benefits. it. And my insurance benefits. I miss it very much. And I miss that... Nothing like having to pay for it fully yourself. Do you appreciate right. the actual cost right. Right. Um, of those things, right? But it's it's the same thing that that's something that probably keeps me up at night is how does benefit still function as we continue to decentralize this institutional definition of employer-employee relationship and what it means to work and what you get from it. But group benefits isn't just employer. I mean, that is the biggest bulk of it. And that's right. definitely what, what I know best and have grown up in. But it is associations also. Is there an association between these people right. that creates a clear definition of who is in the group? And it also doesn't need to necessarily be a fully insured product you know, where you're doing kind of the pooled risk and the group underwriting and, and offering, it can be. Right. But we have such a marketplace right now of voluntary supplemental individual um, focused products that it's honestly, it's really just creating the platform for folks to go there and to be able to find things for themselves and purchase what they need. So it's still, it's sponsoring the benefits, Yeah. but it's not necessarily then running an entire insurance benefits program for your 
um, for your members. So one other thing that I want to ask you about in this context, right? I did a recording with a guy named Alex Boaziz. So he's a French-Israeli entrepreneur who started this company called Deal, D-E-E-L. And essentially what yes. Deal, you know the company? I have seen the name. As soon as you said Deal, I thought D-E-E-L, because I think in spelling so for this some is, reason. This is also a trend. What he's doing is he's abstracting away the human resources function, right, from big companies. It's very interesting. And I asked him the same question, because now he's he says, he's going to run like human resources and I'm just making up companies like for Microsoft. They don't have to do it themselves because why? Because the same HR responsibilities that they have, they have at Apple or they have at <clears throat> Google. So why do it yourself? Why yeah. not pull it together? Give it to somebody else who's built all this tech to do it. But then again, there are some people there that aren't part of gigantic corporations, but like want to live and work in a different place. And he's built this system to abstract those functions away. And I said to him the same thing. If there are a million or two million people on your platform, shouldn't you provide Shouldn't you be providing them with like insurance services? I just think this is the new way that this stuff is going to get distributed. I think it is too. And I think that's what carriers and the non-insurance vendors that are providing other benefits and services need to be prepared for. And that's the kind of technology that if they're not currently focused on, and I guarantee you, unfortunately, the carriers are not because they're still just trying to figure out how to not enter the same name with periods and commas into six different systems. <laughs> and it's going to take them a few million dollars and a few years of implementation to finally get to that point. Um, but there, there's a good number of them that have that have at least gotten there. And now they're focusing on their APIs and whether or not they're going to, you know, strategizing the roadmap alone for like getting APIs in there is a, is a whole fun project. But yeah, how, how are carriers who have lost... And I would argue because of Ben Admin platforms. Yep. I think Ben Admin platforms completely um, disrupted the relationship between an employee or excuse me, a carrier and the end user employee. Not that there was ever a really great, strong relationship there to begin with, because right. the carrier looks at the employer as the client. Um, but as we get into more and more of kind of hyper personalization yeah. and making sure that benefits are working for each individual and we're, and we're not all the same. We don't all need child life insurance. We don't all need pet insurance. We don't all need, so you have to start building and that's when it becomes more and more complex. Stop trying to offer every single type of insurance coverage to your employees and instead vet out the different types of great insurance that your employees can choose and let them go figure it out. Yeah, fair enough. Because right? Give them the guidance and stipend. They absolutely will. And of course, listen to what they're saying. But but back to the original point. Yeah, I don't think the carriers are structured for that idea. But inherently, that has to be what's coming with the way that the workforce is changing. Yeah. And to your point, I've been thinking about it more as an individual entrepreneur going out and not being able then to have their own group benefits, or then they have to look at if they have a spouse getting on their spouse's benefits. But it's also just the association. We are disrupting now what the traditional group definition was from an employer-employee standpoint. Right. And maybe now associations are actually going to be what starts getting a lot bigger, the association business, because that were just people with like-minded risks and interests um, who are either part of, again, same platform, using the same platform, using the same industry association, whatever that might be. Are you sometimes surprised when you hear yourself talk, just think about how much knowledge you have about this industry. I, I want to, before you answer, don't, don't say anything yet. Do you ever think like when you're sitting there in a quiet moment in your office, like I remember when I was 19 or 20 and my uncle Mike said to me, 
you know, these things about the rent <laughs> and like, maybe you should actually get a job over there and not over here because of this, that, and the other thing. And then you're like, I'm never going to do that. And now that you've been doing it and you're actually really good at it, do you ever look back and think, I never thought I would know this much about anything. Do you know what I mean? Cause I have that feeling sometimes I'm much older than you, but I still have that feeling sometimes. I'm not surprised. I don't feel surprised. I think it's though, because I don't appreciate just how much I know. Yeah. You know, I had the founder of a VC firm meet with me last week because he wanted to understand the supplemental business um, a little bit more. And I am just geeking out, first of all, that anyone wants to talk to me about anything employee benefits, but I'm going through the whole history. I mean, he's just trying to explain how it works. And I'm like, you have to remember, these were originally individual benefits through Colonial and Aflac. And then the group business came in and disrupted it. And then this is what we figured out in doing that. And we were like, oh, crap, what did we just do? And now the Colonials and the Aflacs are coming back and, and staking their flag again. And he's just like, I'm going to fly to Chicago and we're going to have to like sit down and break bread because yeah, this yeah. is because I can't do this what you're giving phone. me is really valuable, but it's, it's too much. I need it all, but it's, yeah, it's too much. So no, I'm not ever surprised by it. If anything, it's just, uh, it's really energizing yeah, it is, for me. It? I love what I do. I love how deep and entangled everything is. And then I also love, you know, talking to a family member or an average friend who's not in the industry that's having a challenge. Yeah. And the perspective that they see generally comes from a negative one, like, right, that the insurance company is untrustworthy or they're making this um, unnecessarily difficult. And, and that might be true, but it's not intentional. Right. They're not trying to make you jump through all those hoops just to make the situation even worse for you. And when I'm able to explain that to someone and have them kind of see it from a different perspective, yeah, that's really valuable to me. That That's what surprised me. I think if you... <laughs> just going back to my investment banking experience, I think if you take the kind of person that works at an insurance company and even more specifically in the claims department, right? The underwriters, all these people, oh, I think they're yeah. there for a reason. And I think they're actually really trying to make a difference. This is what I've definitely learned over the past like four or five years. And I'll tell you what, if you go sit on a trading desk, nobody there is trying to make a difference. They're just trying to make money. It's a completely different right. type of person. I know that for a fact because I was there and I was one of them. Do you know what I mean? So I know this for a right. fact. I think you're 100% dead on because the person who does have to go into the insurance industry and finds out maybe their intention was a little bit more of that banker Wall Street mentality of like, yeah. I'm just here to play the shell game and to make some money, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not that easy. No. Everything in insurance, and we all know this, it's based on relationship. It's based on building trust. It's figuring out how you do that. But it's also the creative side of it. Like this is such an old, entrenched, slow, fat industry. Like, how do we get this baby on the treadmill, you know, <laughs> and get its blood sugar down? And there's there's so many ways to make it much healthier and more efficient. And and that's where I think a lot of people are um, right now. And technology in the last 10 to 15 years has really given us something to hold on to that makes us believe we can get there. So I want to bring up one more topic before I let you go. And actually, you and I could probably do an entire an, another entire podcast on this alone. And maybe we will if it. you want. I want to talk about artificial intelligence. And not just, um, you know, generative AI, but just AI in, at scale, right? Do you want to spend right. some time just talking to me about how you talk to your clients and your partners about what the implication of this is going to be, what it means for the workforce? I mean, there's so many topics to cover here. Or do you want to just wait for another recording and do it there? Because I don't think it's going to be a three-minute thing. 
I, I pride myself, especially since becoming an entrepreneur, entrepreneur every Friday, usually mornings until noon are my thinking sessions. Yeah. No meetings. I might be listening to a podcast Thursdays or I've got a, buddy. yeah. <laughs> or I've Go got a buddy it. who's, you know, going to be on one and I just, I want to see what they do and what they talk about. And I, I need my aha moments yeah. and I can't be creative about risk without my aha moments. And we don't have aha moments when we're answering emails and phones and on calls and all that. No. So I have not yet had my Friday session focus solely on AI. Okay. Do it then. Sit there and, and embed myself in it. What, what I'm still grappling with a little bit with AI, and I don't know if grappling is the right word, it's just kind of sorting through mentally is where it's helpful and where it's dangerous because it is both. It's both for sure. And appreciating that while it does have great implications and really positive ones, it's not there yet. It's like us finding, you know, some really fancy metal that suddenly we can do all kinds of things with. Or maybe more realistic is when we realize we could preserve food and put it in the freezer and eat it later. <laughs> right? The the 50s and 60s and TV dinners. What an amazing concept that was. Holy crap, did we not really appreciate or have any idea how much sodium we were pumping into ourselves and how much that was damaging and giving us heart disease and kidney, like, okay, maybe I'll have a hot pocket here and there, but it's not going to be every single night, right, right? right? It's kind of the same thing with AI. Like, we got to figure it out. We need to consume it and and feed it into things intentionally and piece by piece so that it doesn't get too far ahead of us where it's like we are now trying to figure out how to rein it back or, oh, gosh, this is a big mess, but now it's feeding this industry and this industry and this millions and millions of people, and we found something wrong with it. How do we how do we bring that back in? We don't want to find ourselves in that position. So that's kind of where my head is at um, with AI and, and how it can be used and how it shouldn't be used just yet. Okay, let's do that then. I want to have a longer conversation with you about this because I feel like this conversation has been great. Hopefully you think the same thing. I'm going to let you go, Janine Jonas. The founder of, of Risk Creative. We didn't get a chance to talk about punks and pinstripes either, which we will do, which we will do. Right. But I really appreciate you doing this. I'll bring on the whole group of punks. Why don't we do? A, why don't we do a podcast with just a bunch of punks? Bring them on. Done. Bring them on. Sounds good. Thanks for doing this. All right, my friend. Take care.